Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but we're afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today are Grace Duddy and Chick Lane, both of the Center for Stewardship Leaders here at the seminary. Thank you for being with us and for this really fascinating essay. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, welcome. Help us know where to start. If we want to start thinking about the Bible and money, what the Bible has to say about money, to what text should we turn first? I want to take us to the same place that Rolf Jacobson took us last month, which is uh, my favorite stewardship verse in the Bible, Luke twelve thirty four: where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What I find as I talk with people in congregations is that a whole bunch of people, good, faithful Christians, want to separate their financial life mm. from their faith life mm. and put those in two separate compartments. And what I understand that text in Luke to be doing is not letting us get away with that, but putting those two in touch with each other. And it says, wherever I put my money, that's where my heart's going to go. If I put my money with Jesus and Jesus' work in the world, that's going to bring my heart to Jesus. If I put my money other places, it's going to bring my heart there and subsequently away from Jesus. So I always want to start there. What What you do with your money has something to say about what's going on in your relationship with your Lord. What do you think leads faithful people to create that division between their finances and their faith? Is it that we don't know what to do with our finances, so we don't want to bring that to church because we have no idea what the pastor or the church or Jesus is going to ask of us, and maybe we're afraid that Jesus is going to ask us to do something crazy, like sell all our possessions, that there is no middle ground between get rid of everything and Ignore it. What do you think? I think that that's some of it. I also think the church for so long has only talked about money when we want some. (laughs) So the church just hasn't facilitated a conversation where people might understand that what I do with my money has something to do with Jesus. We we haven't dealt (laughs) with that topic, so (laughs) it shouldn't surprise us that people don't understand it that (laughs) way. Yeah. I think it's also easier for us to keep it separate because money is such an anxiety-producing subject that we would rather keep it separate. And we would also rather keep it separate for the reason that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that we're afraid that Jesus and God might ask too much of us, and we'd rather say faith is for Sunday and not for Monday Mm -hmm. and keep it completely separate in a way because we like the way that we handle our money and we're uncomfortable with being confronted about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I kind of wonder if... We, uh, it's, it's about a posture we have towards our finances that, um, we may trust God. We may trust Jesus and church with lots of aspects of our lives, but that's one place where we want to hold on to it because it's, um, it's so precious. It's, uh, it's got our family's livelihoods all wrapped up together. It's got my sense of my own identity, my own value as a person in the society all wrapped up into it. And I wonder if there's something embedded in that as well. And I think culturally, most of us have been raised with the understanding that that money is a pretty private matter, yeah. Um, yeah. right up there with sex and politics. You don't talk about that stuff in public. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we start talking about it, the anxiety levels mm-hmm. and all those old tapes about, hey, wait a minute, this is my business, not mm-hmm. yours, mm-hmm. start to play. Right. So there's a cultural piece of it as well. Uh, yeah. 
But the Bible does have a lot to say about money, Old Testament and New Testament. So we can't just skip over all of those verses. I mean, I go to where everybody's mind goes when you think about the Old Testament first. Leviticus, of course. That's always what I think about. Yeah, uh (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorites. But in Leviticus, in the laws about the Jubilee, where in the 50th year the family's land goes back to the original family um, of ownership, states that you know, this land belongs to God, and that's mm-hmm. why this particular law about um, money and land and ownership was in place, because the land owns, is owned by God, or that is, belongs to God, and we are but stewards of it, right? Can you help us understand this word steward and stewardship? Since you're from the Center for Stewardship, stewardship Leaders. Leaders. They must know what this <laughs> we means. We can do this. That's right. We can. I mean, I think for me, when I think about steward, steward often comes along with the word manager. I think the most crucial thing that I've learned about stewardship, and I happen to learn it from the guy sitting next to me, Mr. Chick Lane, is that it all belongs to God and not us. Stewardship is about ownership. It's about management. And it's about realizing who actually owns what you have and what your role is with all of those resources, money included, but so much more. The move the the Bible makes as I read it is that um, God made it, therefore God owns it. And that really is the cornerstone of understanding what it means to be a steward. Because if it's my stuff, by definition, I can't be a steward. Because a steward takes care of that which belongs to someone else. So it's God's stuff, and I manage it. I care for it. I'm, the, I'm a trustee of, that, of God's stuff that God has entrusted into my care. And, um, and that image of, of God owning things is really interesting to me, because I think... The first thing that pops into my mind is I imagined um, somebody kind of holding on to everything that they have. And yep. that's not the ownership that God seems to exhibit in the Bible. There's, there's this generosity, this graciousness, this this trust that when God hands over God, what the world that God has created and puts it into our feeble hands, God trusts that we're actually going to do something good with that. The image of, of handing over is such a, to me, such a striking contrast to the clutched, I'm going to hang on to what I've got at all costs. You know, it's mine, I want it, and I've got my fists clenched to hold on to it. If we, if we understand that God is a God of, of release that entrusts to us, then that sets the pattern for how I think God wants us to live with stuff as well. Not to hang on to it as if somehow we can define ourselves by what we have, but to release it, to open our hands, um, as God has done with us. Mm -hmm. That's what a steward does. A steward doesn't live for self-enrichment. A steward lives to be faithful to the owner, God, and in service to the rest of creation. And you can't do that with your hands clenched. You've got to do that with your hands open. And I think that goes well with the common stewardship conversation about abundance versus scarcity. And I think because God has given in abundance and given Mm -hmm. freely and graciously, there's not as much of an attitude about holding onto it because the resources aren't scarce. The resources are abundant. However, how we perceive the way that we've received these resources mm-hmm. can be perceived through the lens of scarcity because you may not feel that you have enough. But the way that I read the biblical text, I believe that together we're given more than enough. And I think the Old Testament says that better than even the New Testament in the ways that it talks about in Exodus with the offerings coming in and there being more than enough coming in mm-hmm. in 
35 and 36 chapters of Exodus and looking in First Chronicles 29 when you see the abundance of gifts that are received, I think that's a good place for folks to start on stewardship because they see the way that this belief in everything belonging to God and God giving in abundance played out in more of a congregational-like setting. Mm-hmm. Now, if I can just defend the New Testament here in a second. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're, as you were talking about these images, the, the one that popped into my mind was when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Absolutely. They come and say, we only have, you know, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And at the end, there's 12 baskets kind of heaping over. There's always more when it comes to God. There's always abundance at God's table. And that's the image, which runs really contrary to the image of scarcity that so often Mm -hmm. dominates in our culture. Absolutely. Um, Jesus is so concerned with the poor, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Jesus is so concerned with the way that we care for the poor, Um, it makes me wonder, is it a sin to be rich? Well, you saved the easy question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't preview that uh, one. I know. I? I don't, we were plotting yeah. this one for a while. Yeah. Actually, I, know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I think that clearly the Bible is nervous about what money can do to us. Mm-hmm. The Bible for good is reason. Very ner- for, with right. good reason. <laughs> the Bible is very nervous about what money can do to us, and I think the Bible is convinced, and I... I mean, who am I to disagree with the Bible? But very convinced that the more you have, the greater the danger that money will do things to you that get in the way with your relationship with God. And I think that's the concern about having abundance and being rich is that it is that the more you have, the more it can get in the way. And the Bible is biased towards the poor. Mm -hmm. And the Bible wants those who have a lot to use that lot to help those who don't have enough. And it's nervous about whether or not that's going to actually happen or not. I think that's the issue with wealth is what it can do to you. Not that by by being wealthy, you are therefore, you know, crooked or wrong or a sinner. No, I don't think so. It's what you do with it that matters. And wealth is such a relative category in our world, Mm -hmm. right? If we are firmly ensconced in the middle class in the United States, we are wealthy beyond belief for some, compared to some, well, within this nation, but also developing countries. I mean, just what does it mean to, you know, are you wealthy if you have enough, simply to have enough food, Mm -hmm. you know, day to day? And so it's not, it's not a sort of absolute category, right? But it's always, it gets back to this idea of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. How are you in relationship? relationship to God and to your neighbor when it comes to mm. what you what you have. Yeah. And we were talking about before we started too, Cameron, that you mentioned this that it's you know, the question about whether it's just money or is it also how we make that money that has an implication for us. We talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. You're hearing kind of a craze come along talking about sharing, saving and spending. And I think that's really great. But I think that the Bible is equally concerned about how you're acquiring money as well as how you're sharing that money and what you're doing with it both personally and communally. I can't think of a specific passage to talk about with that. But I think going off of what Chick said, the Bible is concerned about riches and wealth because it does have a hold on you. And where you acquire it shows often a lot about what those riches mean to you and what stake they've had in your life. At the risk of turning to the Old Testament again and offending you, Come Eric. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Come on. The, um, Welcome to my life, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> the place, what it feels like, Cameron. The right. section of, of material that I think about is those 
those references in the Old Testament that talk about not charging interest mm-hmm. on money that you loan to a fellow Israelite. I yeah. think the concern there is that uh, if somebody needed to borrow money to feed their family, and I, as that as the person who loaned them that money, charge them interest, I'm I'm earning money by making their bad economic situation even worse. worse. Yeah. And that's one place that I look to for some text that can be helpful here. That that if if I earn money in such a way that it, it hurts someone else, then I think the Bible has a message for me mm-hmm. there that needs, I need to take a look at that and say, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not how God wants us earning money. Yeah. Another in- interesting place to see this is Revelation 18, the, the fall of Rome. And from a distance, all these merchants are looking at this city falling and they lament, they wonder who's now going to buy, and they had this whole list of luxury goods, of purple cloth and all these things. And the very last thing they mention is people, that they sold not just goods, mm-hmm. but people. And I think that's a condemnation there embedded in there that um, that some, uh, even if we're not actually selling, and in this case, they were talking about selling slaves, but sometimes our economic activity, even if we're not actually selling people, we're selling people's lives. Uh, that there's an uh, there's an ethics and a morality about the ways in which we acquire wealth and the ways we acquire things that we do have to pay careful attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, the Center for Stewardship Leaders does a whole lot of work and, um, and does great events. I believe you have one coming up this summer. Will you tell us a little bit about that? We do have one coming up this sun- summer. We have a July conference on exploring year-round stewardship. So we'll be talking about not only money, but beyond money, a variety of different topics, looking at how we have an identity as stewards and what resources we have and how we might help our congregations and our congregation members explore how they are stewards in all of life with time, talent, treasure, and so much more. We hope that you'll join us. Who should go to this? The dates. Well, the dates. dates July 29, 30, 31, on the campus of Luther Seminary in St. Paul. Um... Who should go to this? Uh, our conferences are usually attended by a wonderful mix of clergy and lay members of congregations. Um, usually they, those lay members have some history of involvement in either a church council or a stewardship committee. Um, that tends to be who comes. But um, you know, we're going to welcome anybody that's curious about this. You, a lot of congregations are thinking about the fact that we need to get our stewardship ministry way more inclusive than three weeks in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes that, but it's got to be way more than that. And this conference is going to try to provide some real practical ways for people to think differently about stewardship and then also have some things to take home and try. Great. Great. And here we are at the start of a new year. Can you give us some advice? You know, we're all making resolutions about how we're going to do better with our money. Mm. What, what should we take with us um, into this new year as we think about managing our money in faithful ways? I think the advice that I would give is to think about the way that you use your money, acquire your money, save, share, spend, intersects with your values. I think that's really consistent with what the Bible calls us to do. And there are some really great ways to do that. But one of the best things I think you can do is not just think about it, but get in conversation with your family, in your congregation, in other community settings to say, how are my values and my money intersecting and not intersecting? And how do I want to grow and enrich that connection? Well, thanks, Grace and Chick, for joining us for this really great conversation. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.